Omega Tau. Science and Engineering in your headphones. Hello, welcome to Omega Tau to this new episode. I sometimes joke about the fact that I'm doing Omega Tau primarily for myself and not for you guys. <laughs> it's of course a little bit the joke, but um, this episode is certainly one of those where um, I feel that I really wanted to talk to Jens um, and reminisce about my and of course his and therefore our joint experience of uh, flying in the F-16. Jens Trabold uh, flew with the Dutch Air Force. He had a quite different experience, obviously just as fascinating and, and, and for him and an experience. But uh, we basically had to or wanted to compare notes about our experiences. So this is really a fun episode. I enjoyed a lot. So um, before we get started, I in my notes, it says I should um, mention that unfortunately, there is a little bit of microphone noise. I don't remember, but if my notes say so, then it's probably true. So uh, please excuse this imperfection in recording technology. All right. So I think that is all I've had uh, to say before we get started. So let's go ahead with uh, Jens's introduction. Okay, my name is uh, Jens Trabold. I'm um, a Danish uh, glider pilot, and I work uh, full-time as the editor of uh, the website called nordicgliding.com. And um, this, uh, this website is, um, is a membership uh, website for the, uh, for the gliding federations of, of the Nordic countries, uh, Sweden, Norway, and Denmark. So... Um, so the idea behind this website is to portrait gliding in the Nordic countries and showcase uh, gliding of the Nordic countries. And um, we've done this for a year. And um, the printed magazine, which was before this, has been running since 2013. So it's, it's a quite old magazine now in, in terms of uh, publication. Mm-hmm. So this is what I do uh, full time, basically. Did you stop the print version or is there still both going on? No, no, we we have we've taken a step into the digital world now. Okay, yeah, I mean, we can see on all. Um, basically, this is, this is true for all kinds of publications that the trends are that people are much more interested in in sort of on demand yeah. content. People are not very interested in flow content anymore. Like, it's rarely that people just turn on the TV and watch whatever the, that is on the TV. People want to choose whatever segments they they want. Yeah. So. Um, so we can see the digital universe is coming along quite strongly now. And this is also the case for um, any internet content. So yeah. that's why we've done this. Before we get to the real point of our, of our chat today, um, how much gliding is there going on in the Nordic countries? Um, as a German, I always think uh, that the glider pilot density in Germany is probably uh, only rivaled by maybe Switzerland and Austria. Um, how much of a is it even more of a niche if you know uh, compared to let's say Germany? I think you guys have the biggest gliding population in the world basically because gliding was invented in Germany. But um, if you if you take a country like Denmark, for instance, we were around five million people and we are one thousand. 600, 1,700 glider pilots. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how that translates into, uh, say, the ratio in Germany, but quite a significant yeah. number, actually. So I think um, you're around 20,000, right? Exactly. In, in Germany. So yeah. um, it's comparable, absolutely. 
Yeah. Okay. And I think in Norway, there are around uh, probably a little less than a thousand glider pilots. Um, and in Sweden, they're around same number as Denmark, mm-hmm. 1,600, 1,700 glider pilots. Mm-hmm. But what is, what is quite, um, I think what should be mentioned about uh, the gliding in the Nordic countries is that the conditions are extremely good. If you go to Sweden, you have almost uh, Germanic conditions. You have continental climate in Sweden, lots of places. Um, myself, I live in Copenhagen, so <clears throat> sometimes we, from my gliding club uh, in, in north of Copenhagen, we take a, a high aero tow and then we glide to Sweden oh, because cool. there's only a a very shallow body of water that separates the two countries, actually. So if we, if we file a flight plan, we can glide into Sweden over the water and then continue up north. And it's, it's only your planning that decides how far you go because the, you know, the, the days are very long during the right. summer in Nordic parts of the, of the world. So that's a very cool thing. And also, um, I should also do a little plug about Norway because Norway is an amazing country to go guiding in also i mean with the, the the mountains and the fjords and the extreme diversity of landscape it's just it's so beautiful i mm. mean i've been i've been gliding in france and and all over the world but norway is probably in terms of landscapes it's one of the most fascinating places to go gliding in and if you get a chance you can visit some of the ice gliding camps yeah you know, I the, saw those, um, yeah. yeah yeah the Vogel wave camp or or some of the other ones in Sweden, in Kepnekaise, or uh, or in Ocher. It should be on every glider pilot's bucket list to try one of those camps. And mm-hmm. um, so uh, I've been there seven times now. Wow. Always good fun, good camaraderie, and good flying fun. Cool. There's probably not that many outlanding opportunities then in, in in Norway, but that's not very different from gliding in the French Alps, for example. You don't have them either. No, so. there's not many gliding outlanding possibilities, but you know which one there are because yeah. <laughs> there's not too much to uh, yeah. <laughs> to hold on to. So you you are aware of this the possibilities you have. Yeah, I mean it's not like uh, when you go gliding in Denmark, for instance. In my gliding club, which is 30 kilometers north of Copenhagen, I cannot name any of the out, outlanding sure. possibilities there are because we have fields everywhere. So it's like, oh, should I take this one or should I take this one? Doesn't matter, you know. Yeah. So it's 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 only flat farmland in Denmark yeah. mainly. Yeah. The only personal connection I had uh, to Danish gliding so far is that I sold my first glider uh, to a Danish guy years ago. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the. That's the connection I've had. All right, but uh, our point today is not to talk about gliding, although this might be <laughs> interesting in itself without your wave uh, camp uh, experience. But uh, you got to fly in uh, in a non-glider not too long ago. Sure, yes. <laughs> That's what we're going to talk about. It's a common a joint experience yes. we have. Yes, um, yes, for sure. How did that happen? How did you get into an F-16? Well, um it, it actually has something to do with gliding, actually, because um, I flew the F-16, which is a lifelong dream for me to do, as I guess it was for you too. Yeah. But the, um, the occasion was actually uh, gliding-related because the, the Danish Soaring Federation is running a program now called the Danish Aviation Cadets, and it's running it in collaboration with the Danish Air Force mm-hmm. because the Danish Air Force has discovered that if you need to produce one Air Force pilot 
you need around 60 normal uh, students, but only say six or seven glider pilot students. Ah. So the, the success ratio is much much higher with the with the with a glider pilot than with a say normal student that comes in through the F4 school. Pedestrian, as we say. Yeah. Um, so they've they've just done the math, and 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 if they want to they want to have the highest number of students through the school that they know will succeed. So that's why they 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 are focusing on gliding now. And of course, the gliding the Danish gliding federation has has seen this as a very good opportunity for you know promoting gliding yeah. and 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 stuff like that. So the the Danish Air Force has um, a number of fighter pilots who are also glider pilots. Uh, they just happen to be glider pilots, and I I struck a deal with them that uh, you know we should write about this concept of uh, this this Danish air cadet program, and maybe I should do a portrait about you know how you got into gliding. And how you got into the Air Force as well. And it may, maybe it would be a good idea if I, I saw how your work day is going. So they said, yeah, it's, that's, that's probably not, not too bad idea. So it, it, was, it was actually there. It was, they invited me. I can, <laughs> so I was happy to take up the invitation. After you made a proposal. I mean, you, you suggested to them that this, this could work this way. And then they, they offered to, for you to fly. Well, actually, we've we've been talking for many many years because I knew I, I know some of these guys from from way back, mm -hmm. and uh, we've always been we've always been looking for an opportunity how to make some kind of article that that fuses gliding with professional flying. Yeah. So, you know, because there's a lot of professional pilots when they're not piloting their fighter planes or or their air bosses around Europe. They are flying gliders because it's a lot of fun flying gliders and it's very stimulating and and yeah. educating to fly gliders. So um, I always try to have that dimension into my when I make content for the magazine. Mm -hmm. So we made this deal that I would come along with uh, for a flight. And the um, Danish Air Force is is a very they're quite serious bunch of people. Um, so they wanted me to have proper training before I went into the aircraft. Yeah. Um, so I went into this. Um, they call it dinghy exercise, where you you familiarize yourself with the with the rescue equipment that is on board the um, the plane. If you go, if you eject out of the aircraft in an emergency situation, you'll have a dinghy, of course, and you'll learn how to. So you you go into this uh, swimming facility and you they try to drown you, dragging you with a parachute and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, so it's very nice to know what's on what what kind of opportunities you have if you are in an emergency situation. Yeah, um, I've experienced this before because I like ten years ago I made an article about the Danish uh, search and rescue helicopter, uh -huh. which is also operated by the Danish Air Force, and uh, I went on I flew with them on real missions, mm -hmm. um, not exercises, and in order for me to to fly with them they want me to take the full um underwater escape training course it's this thing where uh, they turn the helicopter on the back or a mock-up and then uh, sure. pull sure. it underwater yeah they'll strap you into a seat with yeah. seat belts and they'll try to drown you in this uh this big box under the water yeah. and uh, you will you will have to force your way out through a window or 
stuff like that. And also you have um you have a little extra oxygen bottle uh, called the Heat Helicopter Egress Emergency Device, which mm-hmm. gives you maybe twenty breaths of air, and uh, you will you will get training to you how to use that. So. So my experience with the Danish Air Force is that they're quite serious and they want to train you as well as they can before you you fly with them on on any sort of yeah. missions that has any kind of you know real risk. So I think that was a very positive experience and that was that was a good um, it was a very good experience for me to do that. So let's talk about that um, about this training aspect. Uh, you talked about the dinghy and the, I mean, obviously uh, there's a lot of water around Denmark, so um, there is sure. a real possibility that if something goes wrong, it happens above water. So that's why the water training. It's not very often that they they <laughs> it's not very often they end up in the water, but uh, it happened three years ago, I think. There was an F-16 which had. Um, a gear malfunction, the, the gear collapsed on takeoff, so they were not able to uh, retract the gear or extend it in any way that it could be useful. So they had it only had like the nose wheel and one main gear. So if mm-hmm. the guy would land on it, it would just go way out of control. So yeah. they he ended up ejecting over the North Sea, uh, which was the first controlled ejection they had for many, many, many years. So that was a big... Mm-hmm. Big topic in in the Danish Air Force, I think. Quick question before we talk about uh, ejection training. Yeah. Um, in this helicopter thing, uh, where they tried to drown you, I always so I, I I was once trying to get onto a drill rig, offshore drill rig, mm-hmm. and uh, didn't work out. But one thing I would have had to do is also do this training uh, because obviously they use helicopters to get people onto the rig and stuff. And I wasn't really sure whether I'd be willing to do this exercise i might i thought i might be quite afraid uh, mm-hmm. so so how scary is it well it's um it's a it's a psychological exercise more than anything else i think right. it's um yeah. of course they're very the safety is very good i mean they had they had divers inside uh, the cockpit with you they have they have divers outside the cockpit and in they can they can take you up in a second if there's any problem i mean so okay. um, I was not nervous at all. I was, I was, of course, my your your attention level is is raised. <laughs> I would yeah. say, and you're you're quite uh, you're quite uh, running on a quite high adrenaline state uh, because it's a weird yeah. feeling going into the water strapped into a seatbelt. You know that's locked, yeah. and then yeah. you are only allowed to to uh, release your seatbelt when the diver sort of taps you on the shoulder which can be after a number of seconds and they, they rotate you under the water and it's, it is it extremely disorientating um, yeah. because the water enters your ear and messes up your, ah, your, your, so, your, yeah. your gyro. <laughs> uh, yeah. So what it also taught me this training program, which I can now relate to when I'm flying, you know, gliders or TMDs or whatever is that you don't want to go into water with a, Say a Dimona or something like that, mm-hmm. unless you know how to get out, unless you have actually con- been thinking actively about how to get out. Because if you end up in the water and the thing flips upside down, it's very likely that you will be so confused and not knowing if you're under high pressure, you will not know um, which way to unlatch the canopy and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So I could I could see that your your cognitive skills are decreasing a lot when you're underwater and under pressure for sure 
So learn something useful for everyday life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was uh, that was very very interesting. Um, and yeah. also, um, I mean, the ejection seat training for the um, for the F sixteen was also interesting. I mean, of course, they are, it's only static training. You're not uh, f uh, you're not firing any ejection seats because it, and they have no simulators to simulate it because um, the forces are so high. So there's no there's no device that they can produce that will actually give you the sensation of firing the ejection seat and and nobody has yep. it it's a really it's it's more or less a venture into the unknown uh i think and uh of course they have they have lots of data how the seat behaves and what of the because i think it's called the aces two seat Correct, yeah. has a lot of uh it has a lot of mileage and has done a lot of ejections uh, in real life because it's it's relatively old i think Uh, so they have maybe many hundred ejections to uh, make statistics on. I think it was built for the F-16. I think it, I'm not sure it's used in a lot of other airplanes. And there haven't been, I mean, there have been relatively many F-16 ejections, not because it's unsafe, but because there have been so many F-16s. But I'm not sure about about hundreds, but I don't know. I, I can. I don't know how many, but they have enough to make yeah. sort of uh, statistic that makes sense. Yeah. And I think the, uh, if you eject, uh, say in low in a low speed regime, uh, say below 500 kilometers per hour or something like that, you have a you have very high probability of survival. Yeah. Um, say 96%. I think that was the number they they gave us. Uh, Things become a little bit more dicey if you eject into higher speeds because um, what will happen is uh, you increase your risk of injury or even death because your head will become caught in the uh, airflow. And, and the risk is also <clears throat> higher now because the pilots are flying with bigger helmets because they have these um, these sensor displays inside the helmet. So the, the actual size of the helmet is bigger than it used to. Uh, so that can uh, that can twist your head in a weird way when you experience uh, 800 kilometers per hour wind flow. Right. Yeah, I know the Danish pilot who ejected, uh, as I, I mentioned before, yeah. uh, over the North Sea. He ejected um, what he believed was a very low speed. I don't know how much it was, maybe 250 knots or something like that, 450 kilometers per hour. Yeah, I mean, this was a, a controlled ejection, so you tried to give it strength <laughs> yeah. level flight as slow as possible. Stuff like that. Yeah. Yes, he had time to think about what he would do. He yeah. had, they were troubleshooting the whole thing until right. they realized there's no way we can land this safely. It's much safer to eject over the water and let the helicopter pick you up. And I, he, he mentioned that um, when he ejected, he wished that he, would, he had ejected slower, even slower, mm -hmm. because the, um, the shock from the main parachute opening was quite significant and he had a lot of bruises afterwards mm -hmm. uh, uh, around his body so but no no permanent problems but um, yeah i'm sure you agree that to sit on a ejection seat is a very stimulating feeling it is certainly <laughs> different from 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 our normal kinds of seats yes although i have to admit yeah. i didn't i didn't get any like real training they showed me a whatever 15 minute powerpoint Like what to do and how to move the various, you know, how to how to position your feet when you enter, for example, into into woods or or trees. Of course, there weren't any in the yep. area, um, but it wasn't it wasn't 
anything you would call training. So I I didn't think that much about the details when I strapped in. It was just, yeah, sure, there's an injection seat. I, I've known that before. And don't touch the handle, by the way. And by the way, don't touch the handle yeah. and do not touch the handle. Um, but apart from that, I didn't think about it too much. Well, they um, they told me to disarm the seat when I was getting in and out of the aircraft yeah. because it would be very stupid to eject yourself while you're inside the hangar. Absolutely. Um, I believe there was a Royal Air Force pilot who died that way a few years ago, oh, okay. by mistake. Uh, yeah. Um, and also, it would be stupid to eject yourself by mistake, like the... French like guy. The, there was an incident. <laughs> there was an incident with the French uh, weapons <laughs> manufacturer representative who yeah. ejected by mistake at 1,500 feet, around 30 seconds after departure from the back seat, yeah. which was quite embarrassing uh, thing to do. Um, but... I felt that flying with the ejection seat was. Um, I had the um, I had the feeling that uh, to try to ditch in the water with an F-16 would be a very bad idea, mm. um, due to the speed and the and the way the aircraft is uh, designed with this big uh, motor engine inlet under the under the aircraft. So I thought it would just yeah. It's it's called intake intake for a reason, right? It will take in a lot of water yeah. as soon as you touch the Sure. <laughs> yeah, I, w I was very sure it would just disintegrate the whole sure. aircraft if yeah. you touch down at 100, 150 knots or something like that. So there was one point where we were flying over the water at uh, 200 feet oh. and uh, we were like 30 miles out into the sea, North Sea. And I thought to myself, this is uh, this is a little bit weird because normally I'm I'm very risk oriented pilot. I'm not very brave, and I always get like, oh no, we are too low. I don't like this. I yep. don't want you know when I'm flying a TMG or gliders over like rough terrain or something like that. I always like to get a little bit higher because I'm yep. not that brave. Same you know? here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I have this uh, tin tinkling feeling when 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 things exceed my risk uh, level yep. um so but i was flying the f-16 at 200 feet uh 30 miles out into the sea and i was very comfortable i thought mm, this is going great and i was like i know i was thinking to myself this is strange because this is single engine aircraft and yep. we are going like with zero of course we had excess airspeed so we could always pull up and and we can make a case for um, try to restart the engine if then something happened, but you know, very low uh, level. But I, I thought to myself, I have the seat, yeah. and you know, if something happened, the seat will give me a very good chance of um, saving myself. So that was a very reassuring thing to to sit on, and it was very comfortable to sit on also. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm one meters and ninety three centimeters, so I'm very oh, tall, yeah, almost two meters, and I was, it was just like sitting in a. Um, in the back seat of a very comfortable Arcus or Duo Discus or something like that with a very long canopy. Yeah. And lots of buttons. Absolutely. Um I was yeah. very surprised that they didn't uh, have the shoulder harnesses uh tight, right? At least in my case they were loose so you could move your mm -hmm. upper body. Same with you, I guess. Sure. Yes. I found yes. this initially very strange. Um because you're only held down by uh, like basically one one belt. Uh, and of course, when you yeah. eject, they they do they do they do become rigid. But um, on the other hand, they they don't do negative stuff, right? So no. negative G's. So having yeah. a very tight shoulder harness is not is not that critical. But it did feel strange in the beginning. I felt almost too loose compared to sitting in yeah. the glider. I had no problem staying within the aircraft. I would say because of the the positive <laughs> G's. But I I told my pilots. 
before we 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 took off, I told him that uh, I will not do negative maneuvers. Like uh, I hate them. Also in gliders, I hate negative uh, okay. G's. It's the worst thing ever. I I just it's so uncomfortable. And you know I like the loops and all the stuff, but I just hate the G's. So 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 annoying. Yeah. <laughs> so so we didn't try that in the F sixteen at all. So uh, continuing with the with the preparation part, you you did have to do the uh, medical. Yes, I did that too. Mine took five minutes, literally. Okay. Yes, uh, I guess um, either you are very uh, you are very healthy and fit. They could assess that in five minutes. No, or they, they didn't. Maybe uh... I, I went to my <laughs> I, no. That the point is, I just went to my personal doctor at home. He there was a, yeah. a piece of paper they gave me where he basically had to confirm that I don't have all these potential problems. And um, yeah. basically, I, you know, hey, can you please sign this? I, I need this for a flight. And he didn't yeah. do a real examination. Okay, but uh, I had to, I had to go to the Air Force base uh, for a full day separately and do, and that took four hours. And they wow. did X-rays of my teeth. They did lung tests. They did uh, liver tests. Uh, all kinds of, uh, you know, electrocardiogram of my heart and yep. blood pressure and stuff like that. Um, so they were very, very thorough, and uh, I suspect that they were uh, their motus. Uh, their motus operandi was that um, a healthy patient is a patient that has not been uh, examined uh, <laughs> long enough. So it was like they're just trying to to find something, you know. But you did tell them that you're not applying to become a pilot, but just quote as a passenger, right? So they didn't kind of sure. mix that up. <laughs> no, 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 no. They, but they were just uh, they were very fair. They were they were like a, a note. There was like a psychological evaluation in the end, and they were like asking you, uh, you know, um, how your kids are they doing all right in school and and stuff like that, you know. Okay. So I think they were just they're just asking about anything they could sort of. It, and they can pick up if, if there's something that is yeah. a little bit odd. You know? I mean, the, the psychological, psychological part I can understand. I mean, you don't want to put somebody who is kind of unstable into the backseat of uh, somebody. I mean, you could have ejected both pilots, right? Um, sure. So, I so could, I, I could have. I, I understand I have that part. All the uh, all the external tanks and things like that. <laughs> I could have made huge problems. Yeah. For so, them. Yeah, I understand the psychological part in some sense even better than the thorough medical part, uh, mm. like the f physiological part. So, so so that was a that was a full day actually. Of um, it was it was very cool because I live in Copenhagen and the air, air base in, is in Jutland, so it's three hundred kilometers away, and it's a very boring motorway ride. Yeah, there. So I think I know what's coming. Yeah, I I called <laughs> the air base and say, hey, is there any way I can land? At the airbase with uh, with my own uh, motor glider, yeah. and they say, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, no problem, because <laughs> you know they're, they're pilots, so they know, they know driving is boring. <laughs> they said, oh yeah, but you have to file a flight plan, and and uh, but and you have to put this uh, special code into the flight plan, some Air Force code or something ah, like that. Okay. So uh -huh. the ACC know that you're coming and you're allowed to land here. And I'm not I'm not actually very familiar with flight plans, so mm -hmm. I think this this was my first attempt of actually making a flight plan ever. <laughs> Like by hand, yeah. you know. Normally, uh, I had you know you've been using uh, Sky Demon or some kind of software to do it. So, and you're supposed to send it in and then and then await 
the ATC to call you to confirm everything is okay. Yeah. So there was a there was this lady that called me from ATC, and she was um, she was not too happy with my work. Um, and she said, "What's this uh, weird stuff? Uh, this code here? What's this?" And I said, "I don't know." The, the Air Force told me to put it there, and she said, mm, "I don't know what it is, but mm, okay, we can <laughs> we can leave it if you wish." And I said, "Yes, I wish." Um, so I managed to 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 fly there uh, on the day. And then it's you know with air bases it's a, it's a, they can be big mm-hmm. you know uh, so I landed there and I, I called the, uh, the the doctor's office there and I said I'm, I'm at at the runway and it's it's I don't know it's a long walk and it's five kilometers to the can you can you come and pick me up so they send an ambulance to <laughs> to come and pick me up. <laughs> so I was I was sitting in the ambulance uh, so. That was something. That was that was good fun, actually. Yeah, so absolutely. I'm, I'm quite grateful that they 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 went out of the way to to help me out a little bit. Yeah. And then the day before um, the flight, I I went to get my my gear and my suit and all my stuff and my G trousers and also to do training, uh, cockpit training. So mm-hmm. I spent one hour in the actual uh, real uh, F sixteen. Simulator, flight simulator. Cool. Learning how to fly the aircraft, basically, yeah. in a basic way, and landed, landed, and things like that. And that was um, that was quite interesting. Is it a full um, motion simulator or just a static? No, 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 no. It's just a static. Okay. They, there's no. I mean, the as you know, the forces are so powerful. Yeah. So that, that it doesn't make sense to have any kind of G loading. It's a good on point. The, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, so so I did that, and I also went into. Um, they had a backup F-16, uh, reels F-16 in a hangar. And I did a lot of uh, unbuckling, getting in and out wow. of the aircraft type because they thought it was important for me to be able to get out if if the, if the aircraft caught on fire, say, on the yeah. runway or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and, um, I mean, normally they, they do the whole thing, including, I think, medical also in one day sometimes. And I think they they even admit that it can be a little bit too much for for Absolutely. people because sometimes they also fly with people who are not not pilots in any way. I mean, it could be you know politicians or you know um, dignitaries and VIPs in 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 some way. And I I thought it was um for me it was very immersive and I was quite tired actually after the first day. And I thought, well, I'm I'm very happy that I'm not flying today and I'm yes. not I'm. I'm flying tomorrow because I'm actually I'm tired now. Yeah, you know from all these um, remembering all this stuff and things like that. So, and yeah. um, so how did they do it when with with you? you they did that in whole in one day. Yeah, so I I um, arrived uh, I think at seven fifteen in the morning. Um, we uh, at the at the airbase and we did um, basically a you know basic 10-minute cockpit familiarization based on PowerPoint. Um, of course, I did that in advance as a, as a real geek <laughs> at home. Um, but um, then we spent, you know, the previously mentioned 15 minutes about uh, the ejection seat. Um, I did, the last thing I did before the flight was maybe a 15-minute um, a briefing with my with my pilot where we talked about the maneuvers we would fly and stuff like that and in between there was a lot of time for the suit up as you know it takes a while until they uh, adjust the g 
uh, suit to to fit your body shape. So that mm. that took most of the time. We did uh, um, a mask fitting test, uh, pressure test with the oxygenation uh, system, stuff like that. So all in all, it took. I think we launched at eleven twenty. So uh, okay, it was like basically three four hours in total. And there was a bit okay. of waiting time in between, so I didn't. Yeah. I didn't get basically. I didn't get any of the preparation you were getting. So you you got the the fuller experience in terms of uh, preparation. So that's one of the reasons I thought it's interesting to chat because it was a quite different experience yeah. in that sense. Well, I think the uh, the F sixteen pilots that I, I I knew and and they are glider pilots as well. Uh, they knew it would be. Um, that I would get more out of it if they if they spend a little bit more time with me. Yes, because I had this this background, uh, the aviation background. Absolutely. So I'm I'm very grateful to to them that that they actually they, they I had this uh, this uh, extra VIP treatment or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, because it was it gave so much more than just being you know uh, slammed into the backseat and hey here we go. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I mean, I, you you had the same experience in that sense as as we'll chat about. I I felt uh, obviously, right? I felt completely overwhelmed when during the flight. It's not like I don't remember it or something. It wasn't that bad. But no. the more preparation you can get, the more you can enjoy the actual experience because you you know what to process like mentally. So, yes. Um, yeah. But still still it was the actual flight experience was there's nothing that can prepare you for that. No, no, of course, but but you can try as much <laughs> as you can, right? Yeah. So I I think the, the extra time I spent preparing for it uh, with the equipment and stuff like that did that I was a little bit more relaxed in the cockpit because yeah. I knew my ra- my way around the cockpit. I knew yeah. how to adjust my oxygen systems and turn up the radios yeah, and and exactly. and adjust my seats and yes. stuff like that. And These were the things they they taught me as well: oxygen, radio, seat. And of course, yeah. they gave me a brief overview over what over over what the, the the hot repeater screen would show. Of course, but I knew that before, right? I mean, there's all all, all yeah. over the internet, so that that's not a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Did they expect if if something if your if your pilot uh, got uh, incapacitated? Um, yeah. Since you got some training in the sim, did they suggest you land or eject anyway? Well, I asked actually because I, I was so impressed with myself as always uh, <laughs> uh, about my landings in the F sixteen in the simulator. So I thought, mm, this is a fifty million euro simulator. I, I'm sure that it sort of kind of it kind of represents the reality. So if mm-hmm. I can land the thing in the sim, I, I might be able to do it in real life. But they told me, hey, don't get cocky because you'll be in the back seat, yeah, and you you won't be able to see much, yeah. So. If something happens, I was instructed to take control of the aircraft, fly us out over the North Sea, and eject us both there. Right. And uh, I thought it was a little bit of shame. I, I, I'm, I don't know. I probably would have done it, but you know, my pilot, he was, um, he was this thirty-year-old uh, uh, Superman. So I'm, I'm <laughs> I was, I had great confidence that he was going to be stay conscious all the time. Yeah. yeah sure. <laughs> I think. I think I was the weak link. <laughs> but it, it's one of these things, right? I, I'm sure you've thought about this. What 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 you would do if you were in the you know in a in passenger airplane and you know the the announcement would come: Is there a pilot on board to land the airplane? Because sure. both pilots got incapacitated. And being a pilot, um, 
and I'm talking as much about myself as 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 about you, I guess, we we kind of like to imagine, you know, we'd be able to get the thing down. Um, and I and I did land various airliners in 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 real simulators, like in full motion simulators, yeah. and it and it did yes, work. Yes. And so, of course, the yes. the even cooler version of that is to <laughs> is to land a fighter jet. So that's I think that's where this thought comes from, right? Um, I think to land it, I think I would be able to land it if in if in in sort of uh, non-hostile weather conditions. Yeah. I would be able to land, it. like in in in. Good visibility, not crazy gusting crosswind right. or stuff, stuff like enough, that. Enough fuel so you can take your time, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I had I had very good weather on that day, sort of picture perfect gliding weather. Yeah. Cumulus clouds in five thousand feet, uh, two eights, three eights clouds, stuff like that. Nice uh, sunny weather, eighteen degrees. But the thing that I thought about where I had the problem, I thought I would have had the problem with, is. There's an activation button for the nose wheel steering on the um, on the stick, and there's like <laughs> there's like ten ten buttons on <laughs> yeah. that stick, and I don't recall which button to press to yeah. activate the nose steering, and if you forget it, and you land without the nose steering, you will have a problem. I think mm. um, I think you'll run off or or do something. You you will lose control of the aircraft, and I think. Losing control of the NF-16 with uh, you know 200 kilometers per hour, it's probably not a not that great of an idea. I think no. it would be safer to eject actually. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and also, I mean, the the visibility in the F-16 because it does not have staggered seats, right? Isn't yeah, like yeah. the visibility to the front isn't that great? And in in in, in approach oh. when you have positive AOA, I, yeah. I imagine that this could be a challenge as well. Apart from all the other stuff that might be a challenge. <laughs> yes. Well, it's I've flown the uh, the Fuga Magister, uh, uh-huh. a two seat, two engine, Belgian French uh, training jet aircraft, mm-hmm. uh, and I've flown that from the rear seat also. And I can tell you, the F sixteen is a dream, visibility dream, uh, compared to that. Because okay. in the in the rear seat of the Fuga Magister, you have. Uh, you have some kind of binoculars uh, periscope oh, system to see what's going on for, in front of the aircraft. Yeah. So I think you're a lot, hell of a lot better suited in the, in the F-16 for sure. Absolutely. So let's talk about the aircraft, right? So the, the Danish yeah. have F-16As and Bs, but I think they have upgraded the cockpits at least to C standard. So it was for you, it was more or less an F-16C for all intents and purposes, right? Yeah, I think they had the. Um, I don't know what uh, the versions are called, but I, I, it was the B version, and then it has had the so-called midlife update yeah, yeah. Uh, some years ago. So, in terms of av- avionics and weapon systems, I think it's pretty. It's pretty modern. It's um, CD level now. Yeah. I think. Yeah. 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 So, right. and I, of course, flew the two-seat version, and uh, yes, <laughs> it was um, <laughs> it was uh, it was from I think it was from '87 or something like that. So it was a, a vintage version, but uh, it did not feel old. I can tell you that in terms of power and uh, agility, yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. So, so talk about the the day of the flight. You were already kind of prepared in terms of suited up. No, you weren't suited up, but your suit was adjusted, right? So, what what happened in well, the morning I, of the flight before you? I had a, I was treated very nicely because actually the the F-16 pilot, who also is a glider pilot, um, there, there were two guys that took care of me. And uh, one of them was my kind of liaison officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he told me, 
Well, if you come the day before to suit up and stuff like that, then you can have a you can of course go to a hotel if you want. You can have a room at the airbase, or you can come back at my house mm-hmm. and you know have a barbecue with my family in the evening, and we can talk about uh, gliding and jet fighters all 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 evening. So I thought, well, I'll I'll do that. That'll be fun. So I actually stayed in his house, and then we drove to the airbase in the morning. So I was uh, immersed in this F sixteen yeah. environment for like. For like two days, which was great. Um, so we came to the airbase, and I I suited up, and we did some more training with the seat, and then I went to uh, be part of their um, tactical briefing or the whole flight briefing mm-hmm. because we would be. So this guy, he would actually be um, he would be flying in one F sixteen, and I would be flying with the other pilot in another F sixteen. And we would fight against uh, two or three other F-16s. I don't recall the number. Yeah, you were the red, the red forces, right? You were the enemy against yeah, which red, day? Yeah, it was a red air exercise. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I would be part of that exercise. So I was part of this uh, this whole briefing uh, where they went through all of the safety elements of the flight and uh, and the weather and stuff like that. And in, if you compare to uh, say. You know, I'm a I'm a, fl- a flying instructor myself mm-hmm. in, in my gliding club. And when I do briefings, they're not as, you know, I, I take pride in doing good briefings, but they're not as good as these guys. Yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> of course, they're operating on a whole another level of of uh, routine and uh, professionalism, that's for sure. So they are they're and, very, very, their training level is very, very high. And they're a part of the military, which in addition to being professional, also emphasizes structure and routine and repeatability and stuff. So I think that adds as well. Sure. I had a very strong impression of that. Yeah. And when they started talking about, I would get, I would guess um, maybe tactics or weapons, stuff like that, they... They said, "Okay, you have to leave the room now." Ah, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And they confiscated my my mobile phone and locked it into a, a you know, radio proof safe or something like that. Um, and then they picked me up after the briefing had done was mm-hmm. done. Okay. Um, so it was very cool being part of the um, non classified part of the briefing. I think. Yeah. And then we we had a, a small lunch. Um, I wasn't that hungry. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> it was like uh, my stomach was going like, are you sure you want to stuff yourself now? Yeah, yeah. leave being me alone. Subjected to this IG menu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was feeling a little bit, um, you know, wound up a little bit bust. And then sure. we, this bus came, came, uh, came and picked us up and we rode with out and uh, into the, uh, onto the airbase with all our fighter gear. And that was kind of a surreal experience, you know, sitting on this bus, uh, you know, with, with your whole fighter pilot gear and the other real fighter pilots. Yeah. And I thought to myself, you know, the only thing that is missing now is this is the Top Gun, you know, theme playing, <laughs> you know, uh, somewhere because this is this is what it looks like, you know, this uh, this is real fighter pilots yeah. going out into their aircraft. Yeah. And I thought this is. I didn't. I didn't see that this coming when I was training to be a glider pilot. You know, 15 years ago, I didn't see myself doing this. But uh, that was um, that was quite a surreal experience. And, and I'm think. sure you did this whole F-16 thing only because of professional need for your readers in the magazine and to further the interests of the Air Force to get new pilots. Right? There was there's only purely professional drive there. 
That's that's a that's a correct uh, assessment. <laughs> of course, I was interested to see what it was like for sure because you don't get sure. you get you don't get something like that offered and then then pass it pass no, no. it down. And I, I mean, think, uh, yeah, you could hear my sarcasm, right? I mean, I, of course, I, so, of yeah. course. <laughs> I was happy to do the job. Let let me <laughs> let me put it that way. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I can I can always also tell you that the article and the video I I, I did about it on the nordicgliding.com website mm -hmm. has been read many many thousands times sure. in just one month. Yeah. So it's I mean glider pilots are also interested in others in things that are related to gliding. Um, so. It was not only for my own ego that I did it. It was it was sure. it was an interesting article as well. In yeah, terms of course. Of I, same for me, right? I, I of course was uh, very much uh, trying to get interesting audio and video for for the podcast. But but on the other hand side, it was a dream since I was literally since I was a boy. So it it, it was uh, from a personal perspective, it was just as important, obviously. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah. Um, and then we rode uh, out until the, on the aircraft, and we. <clears throat> were greeted by all the technicians standing by, and uh, I jumped into the, the the back of the aircraft, and I managed to get myself uh, buckled up and connected and strapped in. And um, the technician con made a control; he checked that I had done it correctly. Yeah. Um, and um, then the pilot came, uh, and he made a double check. Yeah. Of, uh, everything was okay. Same in my case as well. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I thought it was a little bit uh, weird. Um, was the location of the oxygen system. It's just way back to the right, below yep. your right elbow. Yep. And because of your life jacket and your whole suit and the helmet, you can almost not see it. It's, yep. You can almost, you can like see it with just one half eye or something like that. Yep. So I, I would imagine that you can actually get it wrong, the settings, if you're not, um, say, if you're very nervous or stuff, stuff like that, yep. you're, you're not. So, I think I've been told that some guests have actually ended up with, um, you know, emergency oxygen or something like that, you yeah. know, for some reasons. Yeah. And um, it, the, the reason why this is relevant is because, just as in my case, they told you, like, if you start to feel strange, start air sickness coming along, yeah. you might want to um, switch to 100% oxygen. And so you will have to operate that switch. It's one of the few switches. Uh, like radio volume uh, and seat yeah. height that you will have to operate, and so that's why that's relevant. Yeah, I had a couple of priorities uh, in my uh, <laughs> in my mind: how to get switched to emergency oxygen when I would get airsick, yeah. and also how to take off the mask so I wouldn't vomit into the mask right. because that's supposedly a very um, unpleasant experience. Yes. <laughs> All right, but but anyway, um, we booted up the aircraft and and made all the checks of the system and then we did um, a formation takeoff with the other uh, guy the other glider pilot ah nice and i was just um i was very impressed of the engine power available <laughs> even though we were heavy we had external fuel mm -hmm. so we were around uh i believe thirty thousand pounds was the weight of the aircraft with fuel and i believe the engine delivers twenty five thousand pounds of um thrust with yep. uh, full afterburner yeah Still, we would go through uh, 500 kilometers per hour before we were even clear of the uh, the airfield. So yeah. that was not not something I had experienced before. Yeah, that's I this thing, say. right? So in in a winch launch on a in a glider, there is a significant acceleration at the beginning, um, but sure. but it it stops after two or three seconds, and here sure. it's a comparable 
even maybe stronger acceleration and it just goes on and on and yeah. on and on so that yeah. was very same so we were relatively light we didn't have uh we have we had a centerline tank but but nothing else yeah um yeah. and we were at the end of the runway i don't know how long it was obviously but at the end of the runway um where we then pulled up almost vertically we had 350 knots which is about 600 odd 650 yeah. kilometers per hour yeah that's very impressive <laughs> that's that's uh that's a lot of power it is very uh, impressive. you can understand why it, it wants some fuel for its uh its job <laughs> right uh, this engine yeah uh, i was uh, a few years ago I, I was so lucky to see um an engine test on mm -hmm. a on a test stand and um to see an f-16 engine running at full afterburner and then be maybe 10 meters away from it yeah when it goes into full power you want to you want to move away from it i mean you, of course i was not standing behind the exhaust or anything like that but <laughs> just the just the projection of power this this feeling of menace and monstrosity yeah you 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 feel a respect for the engine because i thought okay if this thing is not bolted down properly yeah it will just take the building apart you know uh, it was it was just so impressive that uh, that whole experience so i thought wow yeah this is um, this is a monster this engine yeah and uh, yes, so very, very impressive. And also what you said, you mentioned the, the winch launch, because yep. in fact, when the aircraft is, uh, is lighter towards the end of the flight, it will, um, <laughs> at full afterburner, in, in, it will accelerate around uh, 50 kilometers per hour per second. That's the, the book numbers for yep. F-16 with external fuel tanks and light load that will, so roughly it will go from 500 to a thousand kilometers per hour in 10 seconds yeah. so that's that's pretty rapid by any standard i think it is pretty rapid by any standard yes <laughs> i i once um for for the book I, I at some point uh tried to compare different accelerations and um i think if i if i get it if i remember correctly um the lateral acceleration of the f-16 during takeoff initially is around almost two g's but I, I might forget. But the point is that on an aircraft carrier, when they shoot you out with a catapult, it's it's mm -hmm. twice that. So yes, so it's it's yes. even more crazy. That's that's why you don't. I've been led to believe that they're not actually touching the controls Correct. during the acceleration on the yes. on the canopy shot. Correct. Because it's just you'll just mess it up if you yeah. touch something. Yeah. Um, on an aircraft carrier, you'll go from zero to two hundred fifty kilometers per hour and. Two and a half seconds, something which like equals that, yeah. to three and a half Gs, something like that. Because one G is like thirty kilometers per hour acceleration per second. Um, per second, yeah. So an F sixteen, a light F sixteen, will produce one point five Gs of lateral acceleration. Ah, yeah. Okay. All right. Which is quite a lot, actually. And we did that when when we were at, at the end of the flight. We did a full power acceleration. Yeah. From 500 to maybe 1,100 kilometers per hour. Ah, so you went supersonic. Yes, yes, or more than 1,200. We, we, we went Mark 1.01 or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the main experience for me was that I felt that during the acceleration run, that it was no longer my 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 butt that was carrying my weight. Yeah, it was the uh, <laughs> it was the back. There was it was the back seat, the yeah. seat rest that was. I could take I could take my feet and legs off the off the seat, 
and it was not carrying me. It was yep. the it was the seat rest, the back seat rest that was carrying my weight. Yeah, yeah. And that was because the, the 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 aircraft was accelerating that hard that it would actually push me against the seat rest, which is um, you don't get that very often in any kinds of machinery. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's also an acceleration that you're not used to as a pilot because when you fly gliders, obviously you can get to two, three, four Gs, but it's always yeah. vertical Gs through your spine. Yes. And, and yes. so this, this Gs to the back is, is, I mean, I guess a supercar driver might be used to those, right? But, um, I wasn't used to that. So that was actually the, the launch, the takeoff. Um, was one of the most impressive parts of the flight for exactly that reason, because the acceleration just didn't stop. It felt like the only thing that you can the in in terms of acceleration and 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 sort of prolonged acceleration runs that you can compare is top fuel dragsters. They will yeah. produce three four Gs of acceleration, which is insane. Yeah. Which is like two hundred kilometer hour per second acceleration. Yeah. Um, and if you know the um, the American um, experimental plane, the X fifteen, yep, uh, which made which I think it went Mark six or something like yep, that in correct. probably in the sixties, and that would produce almost four Gs of lateral acceleration, mm -hmm. like chest to back acceleration. Oh. And uh, one of the test pilots he wrote a book about it later, and he, he wrote that it was very uncomfortable the acceleration. And it was the only kind of aircraft that ever, he ever flew where he was happy when the engine quit. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, oh, it's over now. Okay, good. Right. <laughs> yeah. So talk about the mission. So obviously you took off, formation takeoff. From, from where, by the way, did you take off? It was an airbase in the southern part of uh, Jutland, not too far away from the German border. Mm -hmm. It's called Skrudstrup. Okay, and uh, we went up and we did this uh, cruise climb up to twenty five thousand feet on a north east northwesterly course towards uh, the North Sea, and they have this um, exercise area over the water where they can hoon around yep. without bothering too many people. And then we were supposed to be protecting um, an airbase called uh, or an airfield called Tistel in the northwestern part of Germ of uh, Denmark mm -hmm. and um, you know I was I was um, I did not understand too much of what was going on because yeah. I'd never I never saw the other the adversaries uh -huh. um, mm -hmm. all I know was that we we did a lot of maneuvering and nothing was uh, straight and level uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I can I can only report that I did not throw up. Uh, I was I was um, I was very very close to it, and I okay. think I was as close as I have ever been in any kind of aircraft, mm -hmm. uh, and then not do it. I mean, because <laughs> I, I had the bag ready, because yeah. I thought, okay, I have I've crossed the point of no return. There's no I cannot. This is this is coming up, you know. Yeah. Right. And then I went to emergency oxygen, and then uh, my pilot he. He asked me, oh, "I can I can hear that you are on 100 oxygen. Oh, yeah. Are you are you how are you are you feeling bad?" And I was like, "Yes." <laughs> <laughs> and then he he nursed me along a little bit. He he made some mm -hmm. granny flying for a minute or two, and then I my vomit level went down to 
non-critical levels uh, again. <laughs> but I, I did not feel well the, almost the rest of the flight. Okay. Uh, I was, uh, yeah, have I you, was quite shocked. Have you done some kind of uh, like analysis of yourself? What, which part of the maneuvering specifically got you to that point? Or was it just, just yes. too much in total? Well, I remember the first roll he did, just like Aaron roll. Yep. Just knocked, knocked the hell out of me, you know, because it just, it was so violent. It was just the, the whole way around. And the thing with the F-16 is you, you're not like, you're not sitting in the center line of the aircraft like you do in a glider or something like that. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're quite high on the aircraft and it's, it's, you can feel that it's not a natural, uh, it's not a natural aerodynamic thing. Uh, it's not a pure rotation. You're, you're actually moving on a circle, like basically. Yes, and it and it's um, you can you you're not used to. I mean the the um, I think the elevators are also giving unique deflections to help you roll. So the aircraft is just doing everything it can with all its controls to yeah. roll the thing and, and destabilize the thing. And you can feel that this is not the way that a, like a glider or something like that would do it. It's just a normal mechanical um, analog aircraft would do it. This is this is an entity working with everything it can mm -hmm. to roll the aircraft mm -hmm. and that's a very that's a weird weird feeling and the other pilot that was flying in our formation he told me that the first time he did it like a full power full command alien roll in an f-16 with high speed uh he, he knocked his head against the canopy yeah. even though it was him himself who initiated yeah. The, yeah. the command so it's it's exceedingly powerful and agile yeah so That's what uh, started my air sickness uh, <laughs> okay. thing, I think. Yeah. So I was like, oh, my God, you know. And then it was also a quite special feeling when sometimes if we had to change course to 180 degrees and fly the other way, instead of just turning like you would do in a normal aircraft, you'd just do like a split S, like roll to invert it and then pull yeah. all the way down towards the ocean. And then, yeah. and that was a very surreal experience sitting you know with this uh in this aircraft going uh almost supersonic down towards the ocean and having this uh uh big uh, python snake squeezing your legs and uh, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah <laughs> yeah so you're just like concentrating on not to pass out you know yeah but i think the the pants worked well i didn't pass out at any any point yeah no same here and i yeah. think I, what i can understand from you i had a somewhat more leisurely flight i was well, not subjected to more than the maximum 60s at any time i think so yes we did 9g's as i joked before yeah. because uh, i guess you have to do that because the blue yellow competition from the navy can't so um, people who fly with the thunderbirds have to do the <laughs> the 9g thing yeah but Uh, Honestly, I mean, this 9G thing was something we did once, like for, I don't know what it was, three, four, five, six, seven seconds, whatever, yeah. to be able to say it, kind of, yeah. and to experience it once. But then the rest of the flight, I'm sure, was also, I, I'm sure we weren't above six point something. Yeah. So I would say it was like a stunt, and then the rest of the flight was comparable. Yeah. I, I didn't watch the, you know, the camera, hot camera recently and figure out how, how, how much more very high G stuff we did. But I'm sure we didn't get to nine more than this one time. Of course, you can, when you do loops in a, in a glider, something like that, you will pull three and a half Gs and yeah. stuff like that. But it's, it's for a very short time. This, this is, um, if you do like these split S maneuvers where you just 
dive towards the ocean and then pull out and you're doing a thousand kilometers per hour, you will, your body would like to continue that kind of uh, project trajectory it's, it's having. And the aircraft is trying to change that all the time. So mm-hmm. it's a very, very long, yeah. uh, deload you, you experience. And I, I was finding myself, uh, I was kind of zoned out a little bit during these maneuvers. I, I wasn't like unconscious or anything yeah, like yeah. that, but I was less like thinking, okay, I'm glad I'm not flying this thing right now because I'm just, I'm just hanging on, you know, yeah. looking straight ahead, not moving my head, just looking straight ahead, just trying to take it, you know? So, yeah. but that's also a routine thing. I exactly. Think, I was going to say that. To, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same if you, it, you know, this saying, right? You're behind the airplane. So you're just so, All the time. yes, exactly. And it's like when I, when I take a passenger in the glider, they say the same thing. So it's just it's not it's it's being it's new. You're overwhelmed. You're you're excited. Um, your your body has to work against the G's, yeah. and that basically is gets you to 100 percent capacity. <laughs> and so yeah, because you're not used to it. Yeah, I was like when we had I think after we flew one hour and 20 minutes, I think, mm-hmm. and I can honestly say that after 30 minutes. I, I think I closed my eyes maybe for 15 seconds because I was so tired. Yeah. I was so tired after 30 minutes. Was that before getting sick or after getting sick? I think that was um, that was a little bit after getting sick. I was just so beat up. Yeah, because I was told that if you get airsick um, yeah. afterwards, you will feel kind of tired um and if if you lose consciousness if you knock a uh, lock out yeah. um then um your g tolerance after that will be much reduced yes so i think there might have been something related to that yeah. as well i i had another interesting experience uh, which demonstrates you know the the doctor when they checked me out he was very interested to check my um check out my ears and yep. see how i you know the eardrums would um yeah. would move and uh, I don't know if they did it with you but they inserted some kind of instrument and sucked and made vacuum and things like that which was very uncomfortable by the way yeah. I should complain yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I got very dizzy when they did actually mm-hmm. because it was just like very weird feeling yeah. um, but at one point I, I was I would I had a little bit of um, a little bit of a cold that day we flew uh, mm-hmm. not not like crazy cold but I, I knew in the back of my head that I would have preferred not to have experienced any kind of cold yep. because I knew that the thing goes up and down very quickly. So that can, you know, you can feel that. So at, there was one point where we were at almost 30,000 feet and then we were supposed to go back to our imaginary airbase mm-hmm. and pretend that we are a new aircraft that we was being scrambled. So we had to get very fast down mm-hmm. to the airfield. And very quickly up again. So basically, it was part of the exercise, right? You were kind of shot down, sure. and then you kind of sure. simulated a new aircraft yes. that would just launch. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So we made this forty-five degree dive with a, you know, almost eleven hundred kilometers per hour. Yeah. Straight, almost straight. It felt like straight down towards the ocean, uh, with you know, uh, descent rate of probably fifty thousand feet per minute or something like that. Yeah. And I could feel that, okay, now there's very low pressure inside my head because we were up high yeah. and I had uh, adjusted to that. And the air wants to come down, come inside my head again when the pressure increases. And I felt, okay, this is, I cannot keep up with um, with my Vasalva maneuver and my squeezing up the nose and blowing. Yeah. So 
it, when I and I could also feel when we got below ten thousand feet, the atmosphere got very dense, much much faster, mm-hmm. because the the pressure increases is not linear. It's it's the air, right. the atmosphere is very very thick towards the um, the sea level. So I felt a lot of pain when we went low, and I had to take off my mask and like do all kinds of strange uh, faces and blow my nose and against my my fingers and stuff like that and then finally i managed to to equalize the pressure but it was it was very very painful okay and when i when i finally managed to equalize the pressure i got very very disorientated um like spatially disorientated Mm -hmm. despite that it was a textbook blue horizon and very Mm -hmm. nice day and we were not doing any crazy flying just then (laughs) <laughs> but there was a period of maybe 30 seconds where I've, I seriously felt like I was, I was floating in my seat. Uh, and I've never experienced that before. And I hope I'd never like, experience that again because that was just weird, mm-hmm. you know. So that demonstrated also the power of the aircraft that you could you could project yourself in that 3D environment. You could you could be up in the airline and oh, level. Oh, yeah. And less than a minute later, you would be down in tree level. Yeah, level. absolutely. So uh, this is also… Yeah. Interesting when we, as as glider pilots or more GA pilot kind of people, we often say it's like this, you know, you're the hobby in three dimensions. Not really, right? Mm-hmm. It's maybe it's two point two point two dimensions because you can't really use the third dimension uh, as a glider pilot. I mean, the weather can make you use that third dimension, but as yeah. you know, controlling the aircraft time. very limited. But that was yeah. a much different experience, obviously, because you can almost maneuver in the vertical as you can maneuver left. Right, right. So this was very impressive. So that was that was very very impressive, and uh, and also you know uh, before we flew, they the Air Force pilots asked me, okay, do you have a bucket list? Is something you would like to do with the with the mm-hmm. with the aircraft? Do you have a you know do you have a wet wet dream or something like that? And I said yes, I have many wet dreams. I would like to fly fly very very fast in a low level. Yeah, that I thought that would be cool, and I would like to go supersonic yeah. because. You know, just so I can, you know, say in a podcast that I've been supersonic. Absolutely, um, understandable, completely. <laughs> yes, yes, and I would like to fly the, uh, I would like to fly the F sixteen as well if it's, yeah. if it's possible. So, and they said, yep, yeah, yeah, we can do that, no problem. Uh, and then towards the end of the flight, when we were like just commuting back to the airbase, I, I asked uh, my pilot, hey, can I, you know, do you think I can I fly a little bit? Yeah. And he said, yes, sure, your commands. Uh, your controls, but uh, don't do anything uh, crazy, um, because obviously he had respect for the capabilities of the uh, the, the maneuvering performance uh, as well. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, so we were at that time we were flying in a in a kind of loose formation with our uh, formation leader. So mm-hmm. he was probably off towards our left wing with around two hundred meters of distance, quite okay. long distance. Yeah. And and he was in a in a shallow descent towards the, the ocean and I think okay I'll try to keep him in the same place and I'll just follow him down and um, so I was I was flying the aircraft with my right hand on the on the stick and the, um, on, and the left hand on the throttle so I, I found out that one centimeter on the throttle forwards that's like 5,000 horsepower more yep. <laughs> and so one centimeter rear uh, uh, reduce the throttle is like uh, slamming on the brakes yes. in a car it's just yeah. like yeah. massive Massive drag and massive power, yeah. which is like the the thing you were balancing. So it wasn't too difficult, but 
the thing I, I was thinking about the whole time is like, oh, I have to check on the airspeed so we don't get into a, like a <laughs> overspeed situation. Yeah, that was that was uh, ingrained in from my training from yeah. flying uh, gliders and TMDs and stuff like that. If you're in a high speed descent, you you check on your airspeed like so you don't like rip off the wings. Yeah. But this was uh, like, come on, we're only doing like 900 kilometers per hour. This this can go supersonic even with the with the uh, with the fuel tanks on. Yeah, so. Uh, that was quite interesting yeah. uh, to try that. So I flew it for a couple of minutes to so so, and uh, um, I can only report that it was very easy at that phase I was flying in it. Yeah, yeah, I I got to fly as well. I did I did a bunch of aerobatics. Um, um, and the the only thing, yes, I agree. Doing that kind of stuff isn't very hard, right? I mean, doing it beautifully might be a different story, but just doing it isn't isn't very hard um, because of all the computerized controls. It's, it's not a challenge to do this kind of basic aileron roll or stuff like that. Mm. Um, but what I was surprised by is um, how much you have to, like how much force the stick wants you to actually pull when you want to pull Gs. So you have to pull with several kilograms of force to to get it to three four Gs. So yeah. I wasn't I wasn't expecting that somehow. But in retrospect, of course, it makes sense because you don't want to just accidentally you know bump the stick and you have five Gs on on the airplane. So it, it, no, that, that, that makes was surprising. Sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, we did a long shallow uh, approach into the airbase uh, from the North Sea, and mm -hmm. um, during the whole flight, I'd been watching the, the our fuel. Uh, burn quite uh, closely and I could see that we we would arrive with only a thousand pounds of fuel um, mm -hmm. which is minimum because there's a tolerance of 300 pounds on the on the on the fuel gauge so yeah. if it's indicates per minute, a thousand I guess. pounds no if it yeah. indicates a thousand pounds total what's left in the tank could be 700 as little as 700 in real life and you're yeah. not allowed to to land with anything less than 700 due to you know, Danish Air Force rules. Right. So when we're doing this long final glide, if you wish, uh, to um, to the airbase, I was, I was thinking, hey, this reminds me of a um, cross-country flight in a glider because yeah, yeah. when you arrive to the airfield, you arrive with minimum energy and minimum altitude. And if you arrive yeah. at 5,000 feet to the airfield, then you have... Uh, you've not used the energy wisely. You, you have wasted too much time uh, climbing to an altitude you don't need to reach home, right? That's exactly. basically the exactly. Yeah. So, and that was that was the same thing with the F sixteen. That I don't know, and I was thinking about this uh, afterwards. I don't know of any other types of aviation where you fly the aircraft to the limit of its energy. Mm -hmm. The same way in a F sixteen or a fighter jet and a glider. You use all the available energy. If if we had arrived to the airfield with the F-16 with a thousand pounds of fuel left, you would only have energy to do one more, uh, to shoot one more circuit. Yeah, very focused, because you would yeah. only have few few minutes left of uh, flying time. So that's um, a, a really interesting analogy, right? In, in yeah. the case of the glider, the energy is your potential energy, in other words, your altitude and a little yeah. bit speed. Yeah. And in the F-16, it's it's the fuel in the tank. But, yes. uh, right, I mean, you don't want to waste, I mean, shutting down, launching, landing is strain on the aircraft, right? So you want to, you use the flight as much as possible. So you want to land with as little fuel as possible, fuel as possible, but obviously not with too little. And that's the, yeah, it's, it's the exact analogy. Yeah, 
the aircraft is a weapon. The F-16 is a weapon. And if you if you train your pilots to land with too much fuel, then you cannot use this weapon uh, out in the battlefield the way you want it to to be in a strategic way, I guess. Yeah. So it makes sense to, to train yeah. them to gauge that fuel consumption and at that energy level very, very closely and use it wisely. And that's yeah. that's something I see very much much in common with gliding. So there's yeah. there's no much difference there, I think. And that was even though the aircraft are <laughs> extremely uh, <laughs> different. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So there's one thing I um I, this might be the wrong word. I'm not envious at all. I mean, I got a wonderful experience with the Thunderbirds, but there is one thing that I that I would have preferred. Um, in, and you got that, which is to fly uh, over your country. So you you mm. knew the area basically. Yes. You had quote your weather, and I yeah. flew somewhere in the U.S. Uh, yeah. over a over a countryside I couldn't really relate to. Obviously, no. not a big deal. But I thought no, no. this was an added benefit in your case. Nice three eighths clouds and stuff like that. So you know, I thought that was that was a nice touch. I was very lucky. Another way, I I, I was uh, I felt that like I. Uh, was uh, adopted by the, the the fighter pilots in the squadron. Yes, in those uh, couple of days I was there, and when we were we were done with the flight, they told me, "Ah, oh, there's another thing we need to do. Uh, we have noticed <laughs> that you have become you become very sweaty and dirty during the flight. I think you need to be washed." And they yeah. they picked me up and they threw me into the. Uh, a little lake they had. Uh, they were very, very kind to to offer me this uh, refreshing service, yeah. and I, I have very good pictures of that as well. <laughs> That's why you did the the water training. You know, it was not yeah. because of ejection <laughs> above the North Sea. Yeah, they knew yeah. what was coming. <laughs> yeah, and you could you could tell that they enjoyed throwing me into that lake. You know, and I was sure. and I I enjoyed that gesture as well because I I you know it's you have to fly the F sixteen to do it. You know, so I think that was a being be, just have a little bit of taste of that camaraderie that day was just um, a very, very yeah. and it's a very very special environment to be part of. They have exceedingly strong culture and um, yeah. sort of coercive power within that uh, within the air force. So I think that's a very special job. How, how many F sixteen pilots does the Danish air force have? It's probably a relatively small force, right? I don't know, thirty, forty F sixteens, maybe. I think they have around. I'm not too sure. It would be somewhere between uh, 50 and 100, something like that. I would guess. Um, okay. I'm not. They don't really post that numbers quite. Um, not too yeah. much. I guess that's uh, part of some of the secrecy about their yeah. tactical, about their their power stuff like stuff like yeah. that. Right. So, but it's yeah. not. Um, it's not a big club for sure. It's not the, the yeah, US exactly. Air Force or the yeah. Luftwaffe or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, this thing about feeling adopted. I obviously I was there not as long as you were, but um, I um, got the impression that they were pleased. The Thunderbirds were pleased with the opportunity to fly a pilot, right? So somebody sure. who appreciates this not just from an adrenaline rush perspective, but also from uh, an aviation perspective. So I, I definitely got the impression that they, I mean, obviously it wasn't the first one. Might have been the first glider pilot, though. I don't know. Um, but that they let me feel that part definitely. So that was that was nice. Sure, well. because then you are on a, if you talk to a fellow pilot or fly with a fellow pilot, you know that you have you have a massive common ground, even though yeah. the the aircraft you're flying is different stuff like that. But you don't have to explain everything, and you know what pleases people in the most cases and things like that. So that's yeah. a whole different thing, you know. And it's very difficult for me to imagine what it 
be, if you were F-16 pilot and you were flying oh, yeah. some, uh, you know, politician or VIP or something like that, that has no, no experience with light aircraft or anything like that, uh, you would have to be very careful not to overpower them with uh, impressions, I think. <laughs> Although they, they managed to do that with uh, me as well. I mean, I was clearly... I, I, I joked about the fact, so, you know, now that I've done that once and yeah. I, I know how it feels, I have to do it again. So I yeah. can do this more, you know, more more consciously is the wrong word because I wasn't unconscious. But, but you know, be able to, to, to notice more of the details. Yes, um, Yes, I had so, the same. Yeah. I, I I know that there was a good twenty minutes, thirty hour, thirty minutes where we flew around over the North Sea and doing you know uh, combat maneuvers. But I don't remember each. I don't sadly I don't remember each of every of them. I would like to mm -hmm. sort of be able to have recorded it more vividly some in my memory. But but I think yeah. I was just overpowered at some point. I would think I was just zoned out a little bit. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, it it is um I I can completely completely relate. You you can't you're just you, your brain is just maxed out. I mean that's yes. just the yeah. way it is. I asked them if I could bring my I had this OD IGC logger for my glider <laughs> which is a quite bulky logger with a moving map and stuff you'd probably know it. Yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, and I said, oh, can I bring it? It has a very good uh, suction cup. It's it's can take a lot of Gs. And I said, no, no, don't bring it. So I would like to have recorded all the flight parameters. That would be fun to see yeah. how fast we were going and the the climbing rate and things like that. But uh, I, I shot yeah. some video, and I can I, I know some of the max levels we were we were getting. Yeah. So that's that's interesting as well. And yeah. I'm very glad that I didn't bring my professional camera as well because I have oh, not yeah. used it. Yeah. I used my my phone camera during the, if you will, boring cruise phases, yeah. um, and during uh, formation flying. But of course, when we did the the G stuff, I just put it away. Yeah. Um, in my case, they they did have a GoPro, but yeah. um, and they gave me the video, but uh, was a bit of a problem because we launched 15 minutes late. Uh, yeah. For technical problems with the other F-16, and uh, the the GoPro was already running. So guess what? It ran out of um, power towards the end oh, of the flight. So great. I don't. That's... Yeah. So I I do not have a video of the landing. And yeah. then uh, the other problem is that uh, that for some stupid reason the transfer between their SD card and my computer screwed up the the recording of the takeoff. So I don't have that either. Um, but I do have um, 100% of the flight of the hot cam and the audio recording. So I can at least use that to figure to, you know, to find out all the maneuvers and yeah. all the G levels and all the altitudes and speeds and stuff. Yeah. But, you know, so, it was, yeah. it was, uh, it was a surreal experience for me. And I was, um, I was very pleased to do it. And I was very impressed by their, Their capability and training level and professionalism that that's what really stands out afterwards yeah. so what are you going to do with the rest of your journalistic life i mean you're not gonna you're not gonna surpass that right well you know you can you can find pleasure in, in other things um this this was certainly a high point for me but i've done a number of other things that i find fascinating and and you know flying in other countries it's it's always exciting and um going on on gliding uh, because you know 
I've been to I've been to Saint Dubang in in France uh, yeah. uh, twice on on flight training courses now as um just as a private pilot or or sort of yeah. private the glider pilot, and those experiences have been great. I've been to some of our Nordic courses where to do wave flying uh, training and to be in twenty thousand feet above the, the Norwegian mountains um, yeah. in March with oxygen is very very special yeah. experience as well. Yeah. And yeah. you know you have cool. you have uh, with the tailwind you have three hundred kilometers of gliding range <laughs> from that altitude. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very special feeling too. Right. Yes, I've been I've been at twenty thousand feet over Samedan in Switzerland. So okay. I, I yes. To, yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of things you can do which makes sense as a glider pilot. I mean, um, I've recently taken up TMG flying. Mm-hmm. It's not gliding, but it's 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 kind of flying that is um, is available within gliding clubs. And yeah. just I was out flying the other day, even though there's snow here and stuff like that. And that was um that was a novel experience flying in the winter. I've not not done that here in Denmark too much because normally our our runways are too wet and muddy. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a number of things you can do to challenge yourself and give yourself new energy in your flying so i think the um, my career in gliding is as long as my body will allow me to yeah to experience it for sure yeah last question um what was what was the um the reaction of your fellow uh glider pilots when you told the story obviously you wrote about it so you got feedback from your readership but more on a personal level what did they What did they? In, in my um, in my club, which is um, in the North Zealand Gliding Club, which is actually the biggest gliding club in the Nordic countries, uh, mm-hmm. I've been uh, I've been banned from talking about it <laughs> <laughs> because I was just driving everybody insane. You know, uh, when people were having coffee. I was like, Ah, oh, did you hear? I've been flying the F sixteen. Or <laughs> oh, hands up, hands up. How many people have been flying the F sixteen here? Oh, it's only me. Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> I've been supersonic. Do you know about, oh, this T-shirt I'm wearing has been supersonic. You know, <laughs> stuff. And I, I, I happen to wear this F-16 T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> and the Air Force gave me like a, a name tag with my name and the squadron and stuff like that. And yeah. I, I've just been prancing around with it like a, like a moron, you know. And um, <laughs> So obviously I'm very excited about it and I, lots of people find this fascinating because obviously – If you if you have aviation inside of you, you want to hear about extreme kinds yeah. of aviation, and and even though you're a glider pilot, lots of glider pilots think this is quite cool actually. That yeah. Also because you know I'm a regular guy, so you know I can I was flying this aircraft as a regular guy, and to be able to convey that sensation to other regular people, that's You you cannot do an F sixteen pilot could not write that article because they're exactly too immersed in their own thing. So you need an outsider to come and experience it for them. Absolutely, so. that that is that was my experience as well. I mean, obviously, it's interesting to talk with pilots, and I've interviewed many military pilots on on my podcast about their airplanes and all of that. But um, they are so routined and gotten used to all of this stuff that sometimes they are. They, as you say, they have a hard time uh, relating the experience to somebody who hasn't. And I think we can actually, in some sense, as like outsiders, do that better. Sure, much, much better. 
Yeah. And that's that's kind of a that's an idea we can actually embrace also in, in gliding because I've been a glider mm-hmm. pilot for 15 years now. Um mm-hmm. and you 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 grow used to flying and I yes. I love flying with guests who has not experienced gliding before because I like to give them the experience of gliding and I find I I take pleasure in seeing their reaction but also yep. it's like I get to experience gliding uh, again, as a as a with a new uh, with a new memory, or, or I, I I take energy from from their reaction to gliding, which reminds me of how it was when I was a new pilot and saw yep. the world for the first time. So I think that's very important too that we fly with uh, different people and and let them see the world. So and then it, talk about it, almost like ambassadors of the idea, right? Sure, yeah. sure. Uh, that's yep. that's very important, I think. Um, it's a very good point. Yeah, yes. that's actually a very good point. We should do this. Yeah. Maybe we should do this more consciously as 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 the gliding community. Take people from other quote professions uh, or sports or whatever, and and give them a, a view into what we do. Yeah, there's so much to learn from from the gliding uh, community. I mean, the, yeah. if you take a gliding club, there's so much knowledge and wisdom that's actually been. Built in and honed during the years, and and, and, a, and and a lot of bullshit in addition to the wisdom. But okay, well, you know, just uh, <laughs> just the way we train people, it's been like tr- tr- it's been tried over the years and it's been perfected True. over the years, and the way we build the gliders and the way we arrange the clubs and things like that. It's um, there's a lot of wisdom in that. You know, it's, uh, of, of course you should never stagnate. You should al- also you should also try to develop things how you train and. And try to accommodate it to the modern world, but but there's a lot of yeah. wisdom as well, I think. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to add? I'm out of questions. <laughs> no, no. I think uh, I think we've got the F16 out of our system now, don't you think? <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> there's luckily there is lots of other impressive jets uh, <laughs> to fly with <laughs> and yes. to aspire to. <laughs> yes, and I've. Um, it was very odd because the other day I saw two uh, two Danish F-16 passing my house, and I thought, mm-hmm. "That's weird." I've actually been sitting in one of those, and that's yes! kind of surreal. I, I get this when when you when you go through YouTube and you know you you from time to time you stumble over you know somebody who got you know some famous person who got to fly with the Thunderbirds and they have this video and they talk about it. usually it's five minute videos because it's mainstream media stuff and <laughs> I can now watch this and say well I'm not I'm not actually envious I, I've done this and it was great and uh, what, what a privilege right yeah it was it was great I mean I I, I envy the people who did the, do this uh, for a living and I think they're very very lucky, and I think they've worked very hard to get where they are because they're not. Would you do that job? Would you would you be the right person? Because I I, I was um, asking myself this thing as well. But you said you're a very defensive uh, flyer and and careful flyer, and to some degree risk averse. And I sometimes think I probably wouldn't be very good at the job because I would be too careful with all kinds of things. My experience is, is that they 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 ingrain or they think they encompass the concept of safety in, in all all the way they are they are flying it's it's in the yeah. background the whole time like we do this because it's a little bit more safer and we we do this and we come in higher and and and, and stuff like that sure so i think they're not uh, they're not daredevils or adrenaline junkies no 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 they enjoy the flying they enjoy the power and the the force of the jets 
and but they yeah. take the job extremely seriously. Um, but the, the relationship is that I so obviously it's about safety. But on the other hand, as, as you know from gliding, you have to be willing to take controlled risk. Like for example, if you if you fly cross country, if mm -hmm. you're um, if you're basically say, well, I don't I, I don't want to do an out landing because well. This to some degree dangerous. It's more risky than not landing out, right? Yes. So, but if you want to do any interesting uh, cross-country flying, you have to take that risk to some degree, yeah. right? And so it's a continual, um, not struggle, but balance between taking controlled risks and being safe. And if you always choose the safe side, you're not going to fly more than 300 kilometers on a perfect day. And I might be exaggerating a little bit. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's the same thing in, in this military flying. Yes, safety. And whenever you have a choice between doing something that's safe and doing the same or achieving the same goal in a way that's unsafe, well, you choose the safe option. But on yeah. the other hand, you have to have some degree of aggressiveness and the positive sense. You have to take some risk. And if you're in this like competitive uh fighter pilot world and you're like one of these more defensive people like let's say we are i'm not so sure you would succeed and you would be happy in this environment at least that's my thinking about that yeah i think that that's probably uh that's probably correct if you take like a, if you're like an airline pilot you are much more fixed in a kind of routine you know all the missions you know the you know you fly two destinations that are well known and well maintained and and people expect you there and things like that if you're an air force pilot say f16 pilot or if you fly the um, the search and rescue missions with the helicopters yeah. Yeah. or say if you fly um, With the Hercules uh, transport planes, you also go in in and out of very very weird, uh, unprepared airstrips and kind of weird missions all the time. So yeah. I think you have to have a little bit of more of um, appreciation of the adventure in in you, maybe, yeah. or or you can or you can adjust to that kind of unfamiliar situation with with yeah. maybe more training and stuff like that. But yeah, maybe more in, training. Yeah. No. Uh, Because I, as I mentioned, I also flew with the, with the search and rescue helicopter, and yeah. I also been flying with the uh, with the Danish Air Force Hercules in Greenland um, ten oh, years ago. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, quite, that was quite an experience as well. But there's a, there's an element of uncertainty and adventure in in many of these missions where you have to you see things for the first time basically. Because if you're looking for somebody out in the ocean flying when you're flying a helicopter, somebody in the water who is in distress. You have to improvise a lot yep. to piece together what's happened with them, and and you have to you have to um, you get a lot of information during a flight like this, and you have to piece together which information to trust, and okay, maybe to go to this sector first because you you probably know that this this is the right place to look for them and stuff like that. So um, you have to have a plasticity in your mind to operate with mm. these kind of mission types. And that, I think that sets Air Force uh, pilots apart from maybe other pilots. Yep. Uh, yep. That's, that's yep. just um, a, a rough idea that I have maybe. And I'm sure you can train that to some degree. But on the other hand, I'm sure that's part of their selection process, trying to figure out if people are of that type, willing sure. to able to have this plasticity, willing to take some risk, but not be daredevils and risk everything all the time. That's probably true. I mean, they when they go through the Danish Air Force Pilot School, I believe that they 
they pick people uh, who they believe can take the who will will go through the training in America. That's basically it. It's they pick the people who they think can succeed in the end. Yeah. Um, so they don't do the they don't do the whole pilot training here in Denmark. They just pick the people who yeah, they yeah. think are most suitable. Um, yeah. So from that pool of people, they pick the ones that are most suited for the F-16 and the most suited for helicopter and, and, and transport. So I think that's and that's within that pool. There's a mentality difference also in in the in the personal uh, types yeah. of uh, yeah. people there. So I don't know Absolutely. what they look for, but for sure there's a, there's a difference. Yeah. So they can they can pick the people they want to train, and in gliding. We have to train all the people that want to become glider pilots, and that's that's a big difference. <laughs> that is a big difference, and that's indeed. that's an interesting experience also because you have to train all kinds of people, various backgrounds, educational backgrounds, all ages and capabilities. So that that's um, that's mm-hmm. a big job for the instructors sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what yeah. makes it interesting as well. All right. Okay, Jens. Yeah. Thank you very much. I thought this was a lot of fun. <laughs> yes, it was very good fun actually talking about it. Um, yeah. I hope it will be interesting for other people as well. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it was a therapeutic session for us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we, we are right. we are a small club, Marcus. We are. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> The glider viper. Club or something. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's that's what I'll call the episode, the Glider Viper Club. Or yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As I, I put in my in the ending of the um my ending remarks in, in my article I wrote uh, was that yeah. um I'm I'm very happy that uh, these two two fighter pilots that I know they are flying the fighters because I'm I know they're doing a very good job and also if there's a If there's a military situation or like a hijack situation, I know that they're right. Mm-hmm. They're the right people to to be on that mission. But if I meet them uh, in a thermal somewhere and they are flying uh, a Libel, maybe I'll have a chance because they have forgotten how to use the, uh, the rudder. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> because of the auto rudder in the F-16. Yes, yes. <laughs> so that's my my uh, mocking mocking remarks at the end. So uh, yes, so fight us on. <laughs> <laughs> all right okay thank you very much i'll ping you when it's online and uh, okay. we'll stay in touch okay great marcus thank you good fun thanks ciao okay, have a nice day ciao all right that's it thank you very much jens for being a part of omega tau i'll point people to your article in the nordic gliding magazine so they can They can read that perspective as well. Before we um, close the doors for today, I need to set the record straight on one thing because I was completely wrong regarding the F-16's uh, ACES-2 ejection seat um, because indeed um, uh, over 10,000 have been produced and over 600 ejections have happened. It has one of the highest safe ejection rates. So it's a very safe seat, but I wouldn't have expected 600 live ejections. That's a, that's a big number. It's also used in the A-10, the F-15, F-16, of course, the F-22, the F-117, the B-1, W-57, the B-2. So it's really used a lot, certainly in various versions. But uh, I completely underestimated that part. All right. So I hope you enjoyed uh, everything. And uh, please let me know. 
I've kind of decided to uh, do a few more aviation episodes soon. I have two episodes already recorded on glider-related stuff. And I have another one, hopefully, about the F-18 um, uh, in the plans. Okay, that's it. Talk to you in about two weeks. Uh, ciao. And oh, happy Easter. <laughs> ciao. Hello, Markus here for Omega Tau. Omega Tau is an independent and non-commercial podcast produced by Nora Ludwig and me, Markus Fötter. We are on the web at omegataupodcast.net. You can also find us on Facebook, Google Plus and Twitter under the handle Omega Tau Podcast. We love to hear from you through a comment on the website, a post via our social network channels or via an email at feedback at omegataupodcast.net. We also always appreciate recommendations of Omega Tau to your friends directly or through social media. Omega Tau is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Non-Derivative License 3.0. This means that you can freely share the content, but you cannot use it for commercial purposes and you cannot distribute derivative works. You always have to attribute the source omegataupodcast.net. Any quotations or citations of our work are perfectly fine, of course. For more details on the license, see creativecommons.org. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast and talk to you next time.